Turn to our Bibles, to Romans chapter 15. Two weeks ago, we talked about the difference between strong and weak. And how when we started two weeks ago, I said, he is assuming that we are strong. Because he said, we are to accept those who are weak without passing judgment. But remember, the key is on disputable matters. And so we had to look and see the difference. Does that mean that we are to be quiet all the time? No, not on non-disputable matters. If there's something that needs to be addressed because people have veered off course or whatever, and it's in, it's between these two covers, and it's against what God says and his, his biblical principles, then we do. We do have, and Galatians 6, Paul talks about that. We do have a responsibility. So just make sure, because I think the problem is we have not seen the difference between non-disputable and disputable matters. So then we just don't say anything because none of us want to be judgmental or critical. So we don't say anything. But there's a difference. If you see non-disputable godly principles, if you see someone, it is our responsibility to gently say, maybe you don't even see what's going on. Maybe you don't even realize, but this is what I see. But then he talks about what what are disputable matters when he says, okay, now just don't get so shook. Those are the man-made rules that are not written in here. You know, the fishing on Sunday and all that kind of thing. You know, we, those things we got to let, we just got to live out and believe that God changes hearts and we just have to be, be a testimony. We have to stop the nagging. We have to stop the, the constant badgering and just keep praying and surrendering to God. But just make sure you know the difference between non-disputable and disputable. That. That's what Paul said. Now what? Now today he is saying, you know what? You strong, you strong believers. And isn't that what we, we want to be? And what is a strong Christian? And I think you're going to watch yourself become stronger and stronger the more that you get to know him and the more that you're in God's word. You are going to see what strong means. Strong doesn't mean you get more dogmatic. Strong means just the opposite. You start living in this freedom, and you're like, God do his job, and you don't have to do his job. It's kind of like, oh, I am so grateful that I can turn this child or this grandchild over because I know they know, but now, you know what? I can just live this out the best way I can and let the Lord deal with it. We have enough to handle just keeping our own life right and make sure that we're clinging to the old rugged cross, always remembering what, what we once come, came from. But he says here in the 15th chapter, we who are strong ought to bear. We ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. What did we learn about when you are a strong Christian, you are nourished by God's word, you are exercised by God's word, you can see that that is what makes you strong. And in that, in that knowing, in that knowing that God is able, and that's the way Paul's going to end this lesson today. Now, to him who is able. He is able. And the, the more that we grow in the Lord, the stronger we become. 
But you know what that also means? Sometimes it's putting yourself aside. Maybe you know in a situation that it's not what we eat or drink. That's what Paul was saying. But, you know, if they're in their place right now and they're looking at you and, and this is what they that this is what they assume, this is what Christianity is, and you just flippantly say, well, I, I'm free in Christ, so I can do it. And, and you have stumbled, stumbled, stumbled. You, you have let someone stumble. Paul is saying a strong Christian is one who's willing to put himself aside and say, you know what, if it's a problem to you, or maybe you don't say anything at all. You just know that they're looking at you, and you don't want you don't want to push them farther away. Your whole objective is, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll put myself aside if it's going to draw them closer to you. This is what he means. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Neighbor, who's neighbor? Literally can be your, your neighbor, but it also could mean anyone he puts next to you. Now, I did have a question said to me, asked me Wednesday. The, uh, a gal said, um, how, we have, a, we have a neighbor, a literal neighbor, who does not go to church. See, how often haven't we used church as our witnessing tool, you know? Because we're, are we afraid to say the name of Jesus? Because does church save? No. Does that building? But just, no, that doesn't save. Jesus does. As much as we want people to come and worship him, they got to get to know Jesus. That's the thing. And yes, to invite them this week to church, that there's nothing. But, but to say, um, we, have, we have a neighbor that doesn't go to church. What's more serious is we've got a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. And so she says, what do I do? Now it says each, now let's see um, if your version says it this way. Now each of us should go to our neighbor with our biggest Bible and hit him over the head and put our <laughs> finger in their face. Did your version say that? <laughs> no. No. Your version and my version said each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You've got to build a relationship with that person. You need to, you need to get them to, to know who you are and, and like you. In fact, I said, go to your neighbor and say, boy, am I ever glad we're neighbors. Let him talk about himself. People love that. That's to build a relationship. And then I said, don't underestimate. Once a relationship is built, don't underestimate how he will open doors. How he'll open a conversation. How he'll even have them ask a question. So, Paul is telling us how to do it. First of all, don't be condemning and judgmental over things that are disputable. Let God work on their heart you and I, let's just show the unconditional love of Christ coming out of us because fortunately, that's the way he took us and used his unconditional love and grace. But then he goes in the third verse by saying, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on, have fallen on me. 
I really appreciate that Paul's a realist, aren't you? I mean, he didn't say, oh, and then in that second verse, everything will be hunky-dory and you'll have an opportunity to bring the subject of Jesus and invitation and, uh, you know, be able to tell your story. And Because sometimes, you know, people will ask me a question and, and I think that they're doing it to stump me a little bit. And you know what? That's why I'm not afraid anymore because I don't know everything. So if they're trying to stump me, well, then so be it. But I still will say, you know what? I don't know. All I know is that I have a Savior. I have Jesus who looked at my sinful life and said, I am willing to die for you. You know, sometimes whatever their complicated question, I don't want you to think that you think, oh dear, I don't know. Oh dear. See, that's why I keep my mouth shut. I'm just getting so good at saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're asking here. All I know is that I'm not what I used to be because I have a savior. I mean, that's all he wants is for us to tell our story. That's proof. But even though, in the third verse, he's very realistic. He says, I want you to know that even though you might have that opportunity, and that's great, that's all you're responsible for. You're not responsible for their answer. Isn't that a relief? But I think we've gotten so caught up with, oh, dear, you know, I wonder if their answer is no. Then I did it wrong. Oh, dear. No, no, oh, dear anymore. You just tell your story, and then the, re- the rest is up to them. Then it's between them and the Lord. And Paul says, don't get upset because, oh, how we wish we had bet a thousand. That every time we told the gospel story that they said, oh, yes, I want that. You know, we, we might, like for me, I just had two, we just had two sons. I had one that said, oh, yes, tell me the story, I want it. And then I had another one that said, no, thanks. No, but boy, can the Lord ever change a life. Can my wayward boy, can my prodigal ever preach? So don't ever underestimate. But what he's saying is, don't always think it's going to be easy and that everyone's going to respond and say yes. But keep in mind that their rejection, and as hurtful as it is, because we, we don't want anybody to say no, because we, we want this, what we've experienced for them. But he says, I just want to warn you. They didn't all believe Jesus. They didn't all believe me. And sometimes you might get a door in the face. You might have someone say say to you, you know what? Don't bring it up again. I don't buy any of it, so be done. I mean, you, you don't know what the reaction is. But what Paul is trying to say to you, as hurtful as it's going to be for you, yeah. When they insult you, when they close the door in your face and all that kind of thing, he says, really, who are they doing it to? They're doing it to Jesus. They're rejecting. You know, it's, it's sad that they're rejecting you or me, but what's even more sad is they're rejecting their Savior. And you planted the seed, and that's all we are responsible. We're responsible for telling it. And no matter what, you tell the story, and then you leave it. Then it's in God's hands. It's in their hands. It's their choice, just like it was yours. So, But I think I'm so glad that Paul said, just, just no. But you know what? That's okay, because they're really not rejecting you. 
It's more serious than rejecting him. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures. But to me, that would be enough for me to want to study. To me, when he says that, look at those two words. And I don't know, maybe your version says different words, but mine happens to say endurance and encouragement. Oh, for me to think that, that the, all the words between these two covers, if I stay in it, I can endure and I can be encouraged. Does that sound like down and defeated and discouraged? No, this book will keep you strong and keep you encouraged. That's a great way to wake up every morning, to know that you're going to have, because of the scriptures, you will have endurance no matter what's going to happen today. And it can be a surprise. I think we've all had days where, whoo, that's not what we expected on the page for today. But if you're in God's word, God's word will give you endurance, give you what you need to keep you strong and keep you encouraged that what? We, we might have, Paul loves that word hope. Paul loves that word hope. He says that we can be, that through the scriptures we have endurance and encouragement and we can have hope. And hope, I remember in Romans 5 where he says, um, even in your suffering, rejoice, even said rejoice, rejoice in your suffering because this suffering, if you allow it, the Lord will make you stronger, endure, persevere. Same thing. He'll, he'll give you, he'll replace your self-character with his character. And then that leads you and I to hope. Hope, something. What is hope? Remember, there's two definitions. There's a, there's a worldly definition or earthly definition of hope that we say all the time when we say to somebody, well, I sure hope it turns out. I hope this all goes well. But what that is, that's wishful thinking. There's nothing wrong with saying that, but there's a difference in the hope that Paul's talking about. This heavenly hope, the hope that he gives us, is a sure thing. He said, you can live in a sure thing. It's not, well, wishful thinking that I'm going to heaven. Wishful thinking that my sins are gone. Wishful thinking that I'm saved. No, he said, this kind of hope you hang on to because it is sure. You are saved. You are heaven bound. You will be with your Savior someday. He said, live in that, that kind of hope. And then in the next verses, he says, when we all do that, when we strong Christians really start working this and it comes out of our life and it's changing us, look what he says. May the God who gives this endurance and encouragement, as you grow and get stronger in him, May it give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. The spirit of unity, which means what? 
that we get along. And, and he talks about, look at so that with one heart and mouth, what do we have in common? I prayed it this morning. We are so different. We all have, you know, some people like green better than blue. You know, we just, we are all uniquely made with different personalities to make our uniqueness. But we are all to be bound with the character of Christ. We should all have the character of Christ and that when we get together, you know, in the scope of things, should we get, it's like what James says, when he says, really, what's causing all, you brothers and sisters, what is the matter with you? What's causing quarrels and disagreements and fighting? What's causing that? It's because of self and the uniqueness that makes you unique. Well, you just get your little heels in the sand and you want green. I don't care if you like blue better. I want green. I'm just using that as an example, but that's what happens. This is why Paul said to those two women in, in, in Philippians, somebody talk to those two wonderful godly women who've been used in the church mightily, but got some little piece of salt stuck in their bonnet. And if someone doesn't make that clear to them that they're not aware, see, this is why we have to, if someone has gone off we have in non-disputable, someone, he's saying, come on, someone, go talk to those two women, because at this point, they're going to split the church. So, what, what is the biggest testimony for Christians to the world, especially in our world today, a world where everybody is self-consumed, everybody is mad, everybody has their rights? I mean, you can just hear it. It's, it's just reverberating everywhere. We all got rights. Well, you know, as the body of Christ, as the family of God, Jesus prayed this. In John 17, I repeat this over and over, but it would be worth reading. This isn't the Gethsemane prayer, but this is a prayer that he prayed right before he went to the cross. When he said, I pray, I pray for myself. And there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself, that the Spirit will keep making you stronger and stronger, that, that your heart is more and more changed, that your mind is more and more transformed. Nothing wrong with praying for yourself. We should be. And then he prays for those 12 disciples, which the 12 turns to 11, then back to 12 again, because he knows that those 12, those 12 are eventually gonna they're turn gonna be turned into apostles because now instead of following Jesus they're gonna be sent out and he knows that every one of them is gonna go through persecution. Eleven out of the twelve will be martyred. And the twelfth one will be stuck in a cave. So he knows that by standing up for the cause of Christ and living this out, he knows it's not easy. So he prays. And then the last part of the prayer, he prays for all believers. And you know what he prays most of all? This is what he prays. Of all the things he could pray for, he prays that Christians will demonstrate to the world that we've got this common denominator, Jesus, that binds us all together, that in the scope of things, that covers our differences. 
And we live together in unity, one heart, one mouth. I'll tell you, I think about some of the, our actions, the way we demonstrate, or let's say we just live this. Oh, I have to tell you, um, we heard, um, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but we went to hear, you know, Chad's church Sunday morning, and he preached, he says, how many of you used to have a bumper sticker on your car that said, God is my co-pilot? He pretty much said, yank it off. Because, you know, that's the, that's the lie, that, that's that falsehood that we have kind of, you know, hey, isn't that great that I invite him to come along by my side as I run my life? Oh, you are welcome to come right alongside me as I do what I want, but then you can help me. He said, you know what? It is time that we start realizing that he is our life. He's just not a part of our life that we plug in when and when we when we either need him or when we want him or we can, you know, be this glorious Christian. Oh, I got Jesus right by me. Strong Christian surrenders and lets him do the driving, lets him take over your life, who is willing to let him be God and do whatever he sees fit in your life because you've been created by him, but you've been created for him. A strong Christian lets him do that. Let's God. Well, that's what Paul said. In view of what he's done for you, the best thing you and I can do to say thank you is offer ourselves back to him. Let him be in charge. Not look at all of our, our ups and downs of life as, oh, you know, what a... No, that we, we let him, knowing that whether it's good times or whether it's tough times, what did Paul say? I've learned that I needed all of them because all of them made me what I am. And I've learned to be content in whatever happens in this day because obviously that was on the page because he's in control. You know, a lot of these things do, it's easy to say with my mouth. But does my life really prove that I believe it? Now, together with one heart and one mouth, what are we doing? What's our kind of common denominator? It's It's what we did when we stood up and we sang that last song. As different as what we all are, I was listening to you. And together we sang Jesus who died. Now glorified. Let's worship his majesty. Because what? That's that you and I may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We worshiped our God this morning. That's what we have in common. That's what we can always agree on. And that, that precedes this. He said, when you've got that together, when you've got that, then I will say this to you. Again, accept one another. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. This is what enables you and I to just show that unconditional love, even though we know that they're missing. But let God be God. You just live out this so that that they can see it in in real proof. 
except in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. You know, in those couple of verses, Paul really went back and, and quoted the, and really told the whole story of the Old Testament. Now, remember, Paul was that intellectual, well-educated. He said as far as the Old Testament, he could quote it word for word. He knew the Old Testament. But now, I think Paul is starting to realize, oh, that's what that meant. Now he's starting to realize that the whole Old Testament was the promise of Jesus that would fulfill all what the Old Testament was about. And he started by saying, you know, that Jesus pretty much, he had to come through a nation so that he could be born of a woman, so that he could be human, so that blood could be shed, because it's only blood that covers sins. So he had to pick a nation, so he picked the nation of Israel, started with Abraham, and then through the patriarchs. So pretty much he's saying, oh, now I get it. I'm so glad that Jesus got me around the neck and threw me to the crown on that road to Damascus and that I was blind for three days, thought I was so smart, but in my darkness, I realized I wasn't. And then Ananias came. You know, he is going through this. He, I think he's, he's sitting here in this Roman prison and he's thinking, that's what that all means. And then he's saying, and I can't even imagine me being the stout Jew. He had it all planned that I was going to bring this message to the Gentiles. Me, the educated Pharisee, was going to love those Gentiles, those dogs. I'll tell you, this is one transformed life. In those few little verses, he is saying, look at the impossible. It's kind of like, you know, if, you, if you've gone to see, I can only imagine if you've seen it or if you haven't seen it, please go. Because this is what Paul is saying. It's just exactly what that, what that kid said. I know my dad beat me, but the thing is, I discovered what forgiveness is. And if God can change my dad, he can change anyone. I think Paul is saying this. If God can change me, this intellectual, well-educated Pharisee, this Jew... And the highest position that you can get as far as the, the, you know, Jewish law. And absolutely turn me around so that I am now the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, he goes back and he says, oh, I remember knowing this, quoting this many times in the temple and all my smugness. I had no idea what it meant and that I was going to be instrumental. In Psalm 18, I mean, he could quote this. He knew this. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, in Deuteronomy, one of the books of Moses, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. That's another Psalm 117. And then, oh, they knew that book of Isaiah. Oh, they loved getting up in the, in the front of everybody in the synagogue and quote from Isaiah. And now watch what Paul is quoting. The root of Jesse 
capitalized, so you know they're talking about Jesus. You know that Jesse's son was David. We know that Jesus came from the line of David. We know that when Israel split to the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel went to Assyria and was never to be seen again. The kingdom of Judah went into captivity to Babylon, but with the promise of Jeremiah 29, I got plans for you. I'm going to bring you back because I'm bringing a savior through you. Plans that will prosper you and give you hope. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations and Gentiles will hope in him. I think Paul at this point right now is one excited man as he is looking back in his life and watching God's hand just lead him to this place. I hope you and I can do that. I hope we can look back and just watch God's hand and perfect timing and and just watch how he just is leading us so that we can accomplish his will in our lives. May the God of hope, may this God of hope, then did you notice he says, fill, fill, fill you with all joy and peace. This is God's Holy Spirit. And he's saying, may the God. So, you know, it's up to you, but this is what's possible. You can have God's spirit fill you with all those beautiful nine Christ-like characteristics And when you see the word fill, that means there's no room. When you've got the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with God's Spirit, and out of you that that you have this joy and peace because you are trusting in him. Because of your trust, this is the exchange. Because you are willing to trust him, he in turn will fill you with his Spirit. My word. So, but it's our just may. you saying may you? <laughs> but if, if you are willing, look, at, look, look what exchange by you trusting him. I know it's not easy, but when we do trust him, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the obstacles, you believe he is still on the throne. You say, yes, God is in control. We'll mean it because that'll change how you handle your every day. He knows what he's doing. Do I believe that or not? And when you are filled, look look what he says then. Well, there's no room for self. So you've got the Holy Spirit producing all this beautiful new character, new life in you. Then look what happens. Not only are you filled, but is what he says, so that you may overflow with hope. You will overflow. Now, if something overflows, where does it go? It goes out. So not only does it change you, you can be instrumental. Remember in Proverbs, we learned that our lives can lead to death or they can lead to life. I mean, this is how instrumental we can be in lives. But when we are trusting him, we're filled with his spirit. He's producing joy and peace in us. What a great way to get up every morning. That's a great way for people to look at our countenance because we're filled with joy and peace. He said, out of you is going to overflow You're going to overflow with the hope 
that everybody is clawing for. Everybody wants hope in something. They need to hang on to something. And anything of this world slips right through fingers or it doesn't satisfy. So everybody's needing to cling to some hope. We know what it is. And then he gets personal. I myself am convinced, my brothers. Now, this is really something. I, I hope you went over this a few times. I myself, he said, he's writing this in chapter 15, and he is now assuming that the people have all heard the letter from Romans 1 all the way through. He's assuming that you and I have been in this book since September, and we've gone through every word, we've gone every line, and we have learned the progression from Romans 1 right through. This is why I can challenge you this summer. Even though, yes, we will meet the third Monday night in this room, May, June, July, August, we will meet once a month. But believe me, you got to keep your, you got to keep your Bible open every day. Go through that book of Romans again. Go through Proverbs again. Find how this can keep become become more and more, you know, more part of you, so you become stronger and stronger. Because he, cause look what he says. When you know Romans, when you know the story of, of this book of Romans, from one all the way through, as it flowed, you can't just lift out Romans 8 as much as we love Romans 8. You can't just lift, up, lift, lift, lift out Romans 12 as much as we love Romans 12. He said, no, I'm assuming by this time that you have started from the beginning and you've gone through it all. He said, I myself, I'm convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves, now you are full of God's goodness. You are complete in knowledge. That means everything that you need to know to share the gospel story. Guess what? You know it. It doesn't say, and um, you have to go to four and a half years of seminary training. He didn't say that. He said, I'm looking at you, and I am convinced now, as you go through this book, this book alone has enough for you. I'm so convinced. You are full of God's goodness, and now you are complete in knowledge. And look, at, and you're also competent. When was the last time you thought of yourself as competent to instruct one another? You and I are competent if somebody ever asks you a question. If someone ever says to you, my, I, I've been watching you. What is it about you? Boy, Peter said, you better be ready than answer. And according to Paul, he said, hey, you've been through Romans. You are competent. You know the answer. You know that we have a sinful world and that all are sinners, that there's no one righteous, no, not one. You know now that he, he declared all of us disobedient, put us before the cross. The, cross, the ground is level there. Remember, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, Jew or, or, or Gentile, old or young, big or small, young or old. We all stand looking at that cross the same way. Come on, you know that. You are competent to tell people the message of the gospel. 
from his birth to his coming again for his children. I've written you quite boldly on some points. Boy, that's an understatement, right? Boy, he has been straightforward. I have written boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again. But between Paul and Solomon, we heard it over and over. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. What was Paul's calling? What, when, when pastors are called by God, what should be their foundational message, according to Paul? What should be the foundation of every message, according to right here? The gospel of God. The gospel, the message of Jesus. So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Boy, he just laid it. This is how it works. The gospel is presented. You become an offering. You, you confess and repent. You hand yourself over to him. He now accepts you. And then you're on the road to being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There, there it is. He just laid it right out there. He said, that's my job. That's, the, that's what I want to tell people. Because that's, that's the message. That's how our lives change. That's how we have abundant living. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture. Oh, boy, this is good, too. Look, but here, here is, he is so intellectual. He is so smart. He could talk on any issue. He could talk on any subject. He is not afraid to handle any audience. And yet, look what he chooses to do. I will not venture to speak up anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. He said, I'm going to stick to the gospel message, the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around, if you ever look at maps, it's so much fun to watch Paul, whether it be with Barnabas or Silas or Luke or, I mean, he had many people helping him, but he just went all over the place. He started in Jerusalem. He said, no matter where I went, I stuck to this message because everything stems from this message. Every issue that you're going to be up against, guess what? It will all be clarified between these two covers. The non-disputable disputable word of God will handle everything. I'm sticking to this. Timothy, don't preach out of any other book. Don't get off on tangents because you know what? Not the disputable things, God will, God will convict. He will challenge. You just stick to this. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. You know, Paul could have been so full of pride because he was, he was who he was. He was so good at what he did. I'm sure he probably was the best preacher of the day. And I bet if some other church who had other pastors that maybe not, you know, maybe they couldn't 
Maybe they didn't quite have the caliber of Paul. Maybe they didn't quite have the gifts that Paul had. Wonder if these little churches, wonder if Paul would just pray to all these little churches. These poor other ministers, they'd feel like, Paul said, that's not my intent. If they're being preached the word of God, I'll let those preachers do it. I don't need to come and add to it. The gospel's enough. So he never, he never was prideful saying, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to show those, those young churches. Because I, I, you know, I am the greatest preacher. You know, he didn't. He said, I'm going to go where no one else has gone. This is what my calling is. He said, I don't want to be building on someone else's foundation. No, we all have our calling. We all have our different jobs to do. So he said, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. He didn't want to interrupt someone else's church. He said, so this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. I'm sure there were many times he would like to go to various places, but he thought, no, until this gospel is preached in all these towns. But now that there are no more places for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to... I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them for if the Gentiles had shared to the had shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessing. He's saying, I'm going to Jerusalem with an offering from the people from Macedonia and Achaia. These are a couple of churches that Paul started. And do you know why they have an offering for Paul to bring to, to Jerusalem? Because they know that the gospel started in Jerusalem. And when Jesus said, I'll go, it starts in Jerusalem, then go to the suburbs of Judea and Samaria, and then head out. And these churches in Macedonia and in Achaia, they are so grateful that the church of Jerusalem sent these people out because now they are recipients of the gospel. They have been saved. They are so thankful that they took an offering and said, Paul, go, we are so thankful. And Paul said, that's good they're doing that. That's their way. Because they know if it hadn't been for them, they wouldn't know what they know and have what they have. I just have a little story. There was a, a year, years ago, Tom and I started getting this anonymous card in the mail. It was always a different card, beautiful card, very special card. You can tell that this person picked it out and knew exactly what this card was supposed to say. And inside this card was $50. Every month we got this anonymous card, a different card every month, but with $50 in it. We had no idea who they were, except every month we said, thank you. And then after about a couple years, yeah, this went on for a couple years. Then we got a, we, we were in Forest Grove Reformed Church and I was given a concert there. And a couple 
a little older than us, came walking up to us and said, we're so-and-so, and I shook their hand, not thinking anything of it, just meeting new people. And they said, um, we're the ones who are sending you the card every month. Well, then I looked at them. I said, oh, my. Because there was no way I could send a thank you note. So for every month, I just said, thank you to the Lord. Let them know we're grateful. Because no return address, no name, nothing. He said, we would like you and you to come over to our house. We want to tell you the story. So we went to the house. And this man started to, he proceeded to tell us the story that when he was younger, his mom died of cancer. They weren't a religious family. They knew, they knew about God and all that. But when his mom died, he was so close to his mom. It was when his mom died, he was so mad and angry at God that he said, I shook my fist at him. And I said, the little we had, well, guess what? We have nothing now. You and me, we're done. He's, and he lived years. Totally denying. Not denying that God existed, but totally denying a relationship with him. He said, and, and he admitted, he says, I'm a TV watcher and, and I love the controller. And so I just am flipping all the time. And he said, and I remember the day when this little station in Wyoming, Michigan, called me and said, would you come down and would you record God Bless USA so we could use it as our sign-off? Oh, I didn't want to do it. But we went down to that little hunyucky station in Wyoming, and I sang God Bless USA, and sure enough, every night, every night they played the thing. And as soon as I finished that last note of God Bless USA, that station went straight line. It was done for the night. Well, this man said, I was flipping, and all of a sudden I saw you singing God Bless the USA. And he said, I was intrigued with that, so I listened. He said, because I liked the song, and you were singing it pretty well. Isn't that something? Well, then he said, I didn't think any more of that until I was flipping again later. And I, he said, and believe me, I I used to do a, a TV program that near Allendale. It was called a Rejoice. Um, the, the station is still on. It's a religious station that we can get on cable. And I used to have a half-hour program every week called Rejoice. There is no way this guy would ever watch a religious program. Except as he was flipping, he flipped it, and they, oh, there's that girl that sang God Bless the USA. So he stopped and he listened. I would sing for about 20 minutes, and then I would have a little Bible study. And then he was driving in Jenison, and he happened to see on the marquee at Rosary Farm, Lindell Pierce concert Sunday, 6 o'clock. He said, I haven't been in church. I haven't never been in church. But he said, I said to my wife, let's go here. So they came to Rosewood Reformed Church, and he said, we sat in the back row. He said, when you ended the concert, you sang, I bowed on my knees and cried holy. Well, I love that song, and I'm always looking, because it's Avon's song, so I'm always looking up. He said, you looked up the whole time, but when the song was done, your head came down, and you looked straight at me. 
I've never met, I mean, I've never, up until this point, I've never met this guy. I have no idea who he is. But apparently my eyes locked with his. And he said, and I heard, I heard through your eyes, the Lord said, I love you, Martin. And you and I, we've been apart long enough. He said, that night I accepted Jesus as my Savior. So when I was reading these verses, I thought, I think I can understand those two churches of Macedonia and Achaia. It's kind of like the Martins, who anonymously was putting $50 in that card because if it hadn't been for God bless the USA, if it hadn't been for that Rejoice program, if it hadn't been for Rosary Reform, if it hadn't been the Lord perfectly laying this out. And he said, oh, to think I wouldn't have known. See, you just don't know. Sure, we've got children and grandchildren that we know are watching, but you just do not know. And when you wear that label Christian, they're expecting. And you have opportunities. Don't underestimate. If God can take a Hunyuk Wyoming cable and use someone as simple as me and you. I think it's, this is, he said, I want you to know that as I finish this book, I have complete confidence in you. You, you are competent. You have all what it takes to live this out. You've got all what it takes to know the life-changing story because it's happened to you. That's all you have to tell. And then he gets real real. Did you notice? He says, oh, and I urge you, would you please pray for me? Didn't you just love that human side of Paul when he says, would you please pray for me? I am heading to Jerusalem, and boy, I am heading to the wolves because I'll tell you, these people hate me. And I know what these same people did to Jesus. And it's not that he's afraid to die, but he just wants to make sure he lives out his days. I don't want to step back. I don't want, to, I don't want these people to be able to stop me from what I'm doing. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. And then he simply ends the last chapter and I hope you didn't brush off. I hope you looked through this list. I knew a couple of the names. I'm sure you knew a couple of the names were familiar, but most of them weren't. But they were so important to Paul. You know, some people are used in a more upfront, but did you notice that some maybe are unrecognizable? They didn't make big paragraphs in scripture. And yet Paul is saying, don't underestimate. They were valuable for God's kingdom. They didn't get a whole lot of recognition. But if you ever meet up with this, one of these people, did you notice there were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were women, there were men. There was Rufus and his mom. I like that one. Rufus and his mom. He said, you were all valuable for the kingdom. 
And all we are doing is, is working so that someday, not for accolades here, because didn't I remind you that all will give an account? You're living your life now so that you can stand in front of your Savior and hear him say to you, thank you. Well done. But then he closed and he says, I urge you. I, I want to warn you because I know this is a glorious way to live, but I just want to make sure that you are aware. I want your spiritual antennas up there. Because you're going to run into people that are going to be talking and preaching what your itching ears want to hear. And if you are not, if you are not clinging to the undisputable words of God, it's going to sound great and you are just going to get sucked right into it. So as he closed this book, he said, I'm urging you, I'm watch out for those who are living contrary to the teachings. And so it's like I can say to you, okay, we're done with Romans now, but oh, believe me, I urge you to stay in this because I'm telling you, you're going to hear words from people and they're going to try pulling you away and sidetrack you. Because some people, they're not serving our Lord Jesus with their own appetites. Because you know what? If they say what your itching ears want to hear, oh, guess what? They think you'll come back. They don't have the faith enough to believe that if they just preach the gospel like Paul did, that's what keeps us coming back. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And oh, please, don't ever, ever become one of those naive people. And the only way you can stay away from becoming naive, and don't think, don't get spiritually cocky thinking, oh, yeah, I'm this far. Don't think for a second, because you, you disconnect from the Lord. I don't care where you are now. You disconnect with the Lord. One day away, he knows. Two days, you and every. People around you know, three days, everybody knows. First day, God knows. Second day, you know. Third day, everybody knows. You need to stay clinging. You need to stay working at this. Look, he said, everyone has heard about your disobedience, so I am full of joy over you. But look, at he says, I want you to be wise isn't that something that he says, hey, I want you to be wise. In other words, we read the Lord right this year. And by studying Proverbs, just like what he said to the Ephesians in the fifth chapter, I would be careful, don't live as the unwise, but as the wise. And so that's why we went through every line of Proverbs. So he says, I want you to be wise about what is good. I want you to keep going over that instruction. And I want you innocent about what is evil. And then he comes back with this verse, the God of peace, because he knows it's not easy. He knows that verse 19 is not easy. He knows it takes hard work and commitment and self-denial. He knows this is hard. So he comes back and says, I want you to hold on to this. This is your hope. The God of peace 
will soon crush Satan under your feet. Remember, that's exactly what Solomon kept doing throughout Proverbs. He kept saying, don't, don't think the wicked aren't going to be punished. Remember how we ended Proverbs by that person saying, don't think for a second that God's wrath is something to, to, to fool around with. There's going to be a judgment. So he says, may the God of peace, may you know that Satan will be crushed under your feet. He said, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Paul loved that word grace because he knows that when he's covered with that unconditional love and mercy, he knows that he's going to be fine. And he clings to where he received that love and mercy and grace in the first place. He keeps clinging to that cross. And he ends by saying, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Remember what Solomon said? You're a new house because you've been established by wisdom. Paul pretty much says the same thing to us now. To him who is able to what? Make us new. Establish us so we're sure. And then he uses the word proclamation. I love that word. I think you do too. When you proclaim something, it's great news. Now, Tim, who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past? The whole testament. And then Jesus came, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings, because that's what they did. They kept foretelling, hold on, hold on. We too are living in prophetic times. Revelation keeps saying, hold on, hold on. So that all nations might believe because Jesus hasn't come yet, we live in the prophetic times of waiting for his second coming. May through us, Paul is saying, he's throwing it out. He's saying, may through us, all nations, all people, believe and obey him. If he can do that with 12, if he can start it with 12, He's saying, don't underestimate what he can do in your life because people are watching. Go into your little part of the world and dare take this because you are competent. You know it. You've been changed by it. To the only wise God be glory forever. Through Jesus Christ, amen. What a study. Have a good week.